Uh, hello, uh, this is Frank Hope from uh, the Beyond Vaudeville program. I want to uh, welcome you to the Walter Paisley Movie House. It's a very good program, and I recommend you listen to it as much as possible. Welcome to the Walter Paisley Movie House, where we celebrate the little engines that could not. Coming to you from Nilbog Manor Studios, our music is by Jonathan Harmon, and I am your host, Dylan Rory. Today we get into part two with Amelia Kincaid. We talk more about her work with animals. We get into a little bit more Night of the Demons lore and talk fandom overall. She's an interesting person and we had a pretty good time talking. Hope you enjoy it. But that book, I wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. So that book, I went with a smaller publishing house because they would do it and no one else would. And they right. make slick little books. It's called... New World Library, they got a heavy hitters out there because we can say what we want to say, not what the, the big publishing houses want us to say. But I have other books that I self-published because I am right. also an artist and an illustrator and a painter and a cartoonist. And I know what my characters look like. And the publishing houses were telling me, Oh, the children's book, it's it, this industry is so much harder than the other one. And it is. I never cracked it. That's the it. winged one. Yes, sir. That's yeah. right. Mm -hmm. And I had my I know what they look like. I dream about them. They come and show up in my dreams, walking and talking in 3D, technicolor, grinding cool. in iambic pentameter. They're real. They I, I I couldn't give that away and let somebody else try to draw them. Yeah. They won't let you do that. They won't yeah. let an uh, you write and illustrate a novel. A, sometimes a hugely successful artist might be able to write the words in a picture book, right. but not a novel. I mean, this is not a picture book. This is a, a, a fantasy novel. This is like a, a right. Harry Potter kind of thing. That's the Aurora's... Wait, what is it? Ar Aurora's Secret? That, that one? That one, the... Aurora's Secret is just the opposite. Oh, okay. It's about a. Uh, it's about it's a true story about a, a murder case I worked on with Scotland Yard because the dog witnessed the murder, and it got it got dismissed as suicide. And I had the opportunity to tune into the dog. And discovered that it was not a suicide. And that was the seed of what that whole crime novel is. It's not my greatest work. You know, sometimes you'll you'll be able to watch artists have evolutions, different moods, sure. different phases. And I was in a particular phase. I'd still love to see it on the screen somehow. Mm -hmm. I'd still love to see the wing one. And it could still happen, get picked up and animated. Mm-hmm. But the point being is that now we can do that with the internet and we can self-publish anything we want. Right, right. With these certain parameters, but you can self-publish. Sure. And you upload it onto what is now Amazon, what's called CreateSpace, and you publish your own book. And then the latest one, New World Library picked up. So it, it went all over the world. But the the point of it is when you're passionate about something as an artist, I didn't care what I was getting paid. 
I didn't care if I was getting paid. I had something to say. Right. I had something to say. Mm -hmm. And it's in defense of innocence and beauty and harmony and these animals that don't deserve to be treated the way we're treating them as if they cannot think and feel as if they're not as conscious intelligent as we are as if they're not as emotional when a lot of the time they're more intelligent and they're more emotional so i'm defending a certain point of view that's what artists have to do and then you don't worry about the outer you don't know what's going to happen you Mm -hmm. don't know if how much money you're going to get paid or if it's going to be a success or if you if people are going to like it you put it, that has nothing to do with being an artist that's the opposite of everything the artist's soul is and we have to be really stubborn i i think art is taking a chance every time you do anything artistic you're taking a chance where it goes where it lies who hears it how they hear it that comes down to <laughs> the cosmos really <laughs> more than anything else it's it's <clears throat> shocking and i can never begin to second guess yeah what's gonna happen yeah. i would have thought the wing one would have been the sensation it's it's the masterpiece of everything i've ever written and no one's ever even seen it well mm-hmm. i thought oh aurora's secret oh it's gonna be somebody's gonna pick this up and make a movie out of it Ridley Scott's going to find it on a oh, sure. And that hasn't hit yet. Right. Doesn't mean that it won't. And now because of the internet and our global reach, two of my books are bestsellers in South Korea. I've never even been to South Korea. Right. I can't wait to go to South Korea. You want to talk about a renaissance in television and dance. And oh, yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. But they're, coming out with this most beautiful filmmaking I've ever seen. Yeah, this absolutely. Normal television. And some of the things I've done have picked up in Germany. Like they're on fire for these. You you can't predict it and it's not your job to predict. Yeah. Your job is to create what you're passionate about. And yeah. What's important to you and what makes you laugh and makes you cry and moves you to tears. And also maybe makes you angry. And I think that's the last thing on earth I would ever dream in a million years is that Night of the Demons would be popular. Because we all agree we were getting paid less, less than it was called affirmative action. You're not even going to make minimum wage. And we here's a 13 days where or 21 days where I don't have to go work as a cocktail waitress or right. go, go, oh, uh, whatever. You, you glue all yeah. this stuff on my face. And yeah, you know, but it was it was a four-week shoot, right? On the first one. Mine, that... I think my I think it was 21. 21. Okay. 21 Maybe days. My time was 21. Sure. And they kept they wouldn't put you in possession makeup and then shoot all your scenes in possession makeup they'd put you in six hours of possession makeup make you stand around and wait all night maybe get your shot because that's not how movies are made and so maybe they don't get the the whole house is dressed for a particular room they're Mm -hmm. gonna they're gonna film these scenes in this room right and if you're standing around with fangs that make your gums bleed and yeah. cut eyes and so uncomfortable that you really are possessed, 
by the time you get to your scene. Um, and then the next day they want glamour makeup. Right. The next night they want possession makeup. Then the next night they want glamour makeup. Wow. That's so hard. I, I mean, it. I I was talking. I, as I mentioned, my girlfriend's um, a movie makeup artist, and I we were talking about the the. I think it was Night of the Demons two, where it was like a seven and a half hour set, and then twenty hours of shooting of you in the makeup. What two pairs of contacts? Um, well, I think that's the one where you had the tail, right? It's seven and a half hours. Twenty seven and a half hours total. That includes the application time, right? Yeah, I, that is obscene to me. That that's where filmmakers should be smacked, as far as I'm concerned. That's, that that is just torture. I can't imagine what that was like for you. Well, <clears throat> uh, of any of the demons movies, that scene is the one I'm the most proud of. Because when I watch myself crawling out of that crematorium with two contacts in each eye. Mm -hmm. And I look like Kermit the Frog glued to a teeter-totter. And when they stand that teeter-totter up, I'm going to have a 30-foot tail. Right. That <laughs> this was so low budget. So Steve, Steve Johnson. That's a genius who just won an Oscar for Ghostbusters. Yep. He, at that time, was the best makeup artist in the world. This was the little boy wonder in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. He tied my tail with dental floss and was whipping the tail around. You know, marionette with it. <laughs> you look at it. You don't see the dental floss. It's a terrifying scene. I I can't recognize myself. That's one that I can't even watch it. I scare myself because it was so beautifully done. And Brian Trenchard Smith makes movies that are that beautifully done. Yeah. They are a phenomena in horror. They were, they, they hit a lot of the tropes. Young teenagers going to party in the abandoned building, but then it takes this complete left turn of possession, and um, it, it it just kind of turns into the takes a what would be a normal horror party movie, and turns it into something that is spectacle, just constant spectacle and fun to watch practical effects of course make everything great but uh especially in the first one you start you, there was so much build out of character that you actually cared about the people which is very rare for those tar those types of films that's one of the few especially in the 80s where they really took some time to make sure we knew these people and so you and Linnea you know you weren't awful people you're just fun party kids. When you get possessed, you're kind of like, well, that's kind of a bummer. <laughs> I didn't hate him. I didn't love him, but. <laughs> well, everybody had been making fun of Angela, mm -hmm. but they all want to go to her party anyway. Exactly. They're two-faced hypocrites. How, yeah. dare they? How dare they all, you know, they're going to talk crap about me behind my back, but they're going to come to my party. Right. So there's this, this element of uh, justice in, in getting even. And one of the things I've heard said about Night of the Demons is I appreciate what you just said about the setup because I've seen it done wrong. You see it done wrong a oh, lot. You see it done wrong more than you see it done right. <laughs> they'll introduce characters for a second that you don't like, you don't care about them, and then you've got to watch them 
get in trouble and get killed. Mm-hmm. That's not going to make your heart race. Not at all. You're not going to have an adrenaline reaction. Yeah. You have to care about that person. Even if you really don't like them, mm-hmm. you got to care enough about them. Like the stooge character. He, he's, right. you, you love to hang them. Yeah. And you, the uh, Billy Gallows character. You, you love to hate him. Mm-hmm. And, and Linnea, you hate the fact you're attracted to her. But you can't help but be. Sure. You can't help but be. Mm-hmm. So what I've heard is that all of the cast, all the players in this cast, everyone knew somebody like that in high school. Yeah. At least maybe two or three of those people, you knew somebody that mm-hmm. was acting like Phil Tanziti. You knew somebody that was acting like Kathy Podwell. And good wins out over evil in the mm-hmm. end. It has a, a beautiful moral quality to it. Yeah. Because the two that get away are the two that deserve to get away. You're right. rooting for them. Especially Alvin Alexis, first African-American man yeah. to ever survive in a horror movie. And now when I do these conventions, I not only see men coming as him, I see women coming as him. I've nice. seen women cross-dressing and it's it, the cult following for these movies is is so incredibly mind-blowing well that's i mean your resume alone the three night of the demons films roadhouse break in two you were on misfits of science for an episode girls just want to have fun fast forward the Poitier film these are cult films and it's not just a handful that you're in body rock. You are in films that have a huge cult following TV shows that have a huge cult following. And that for a cult movie podcast, that makes you pretty high echelon hall of famer to me that it's incredible. And as you talked about, you know, the, the fans that you see coming in with tattoos of you on their body, I can't imagine how surreal that is. What was it like the first time you saw that? There are really no words for that. Yeah. (laughs) It's just got to be the strangest thing. There's no words for that. It's almost hard to think about it because sometimes I'll make a joke about it. Say the guy's got a demon possessed Angela on his chest. I think about his wife having to have sex with him. Looking at me. (laughs) In possession, mate. On the guy's chest. Uh, I said, what does your girlfriend think about that? And girls have them all mm-hmm. over, all over. Yeah. So it's become, and and now that even that type of artwork is evolving. Yeah. There's a new kind of tat artwork where they've created this, this pinup character out of me. Mm-hmm. So I'm like a very naughty Betty Page. Yeah. Yeah. It, some of these things almost look like, and I love this, uh the the artwork you'd see on a World War II bomber. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Rosie the Riveter. Mm-hmm. Taken the possession makeup, made it sort of cutesy. Right. <laughs> and this bombshell hourglass figure 
So it's it's got a life of its own. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but I I'm not gonna tell you I don't love it. I love it. I, I mean you it. have to. I mean I if you're everybody should have a tattoo of me on their body. There's if you're a performer, any kind of attention usually is like, all right, I'll take it. I mean, that's next level. That's <laughs> just amazing. It's phenomenal. Yeah. And they're yeah. on girls' calves and guys' necks and hands and girls' mm -hmm. uh, butts. And, and they, it is outrageous. Yeah. But the only thing that I can compare it to, because I've spent years talking to fans about, why did you do that? What did I mean? What does this mean to you? This like emblem. When when I was in Thailand, the uh, the men who work with the tigers, mm -hmm. the wild tigers, and they're, uh, they're native Thai guys, mm -hmm. you know, hill tribe people, which is their equivalent of a Native American person. Right. These guys have tiger tats all over their backs. And it's part of their tradition because if you're going to work with a dangerous animal, they believe that the tiger tat protects them. Yeah, doing they do the striping, right? Yeah, and it's it's incredible. Tattoos yeah. are just a, like a normal colored tattoo all over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'll say what what is this? Why why did this character touch you so deeply? And it has something to do with with protection and getting even and uh being the queen of the outcasts mm -hmm. giving them the strength to stand up for themselves and i work with all sorts of wild animals dangerous predators <clears throat> are my specialty yeah I like, I like elephants i like crocodiles i like great white sharks i like cobra i like okay because i see the beauty in them and I guess that's what's going on. I don't understand it. I don't know why you'd want the hideous, most ugly, most scary thing you could ever find in your life tattooed on your on your chest. Right. <laughs> your horror horror like fans that. are a whole different breed. Explain that. <laughs> I think they it's just are. I think I think it's I I always laugh about the different types of conventions I go to and and it's like I go to gaming conventions sometimes we have the largest gaming convention in the world here in Indianapolis every year and I'll go to that and the fans are very niche they don't want to share their fandom they want to they want to keep it close and tight but then you go to a horror convention the fans want you to love what they love. They want to talk to you incessantly about the thing that they love. And they want, they want to hear about what you love. And they, they're really, really into the fandom and want everybody to be a part of it. It's very inclusive society. And that includes the love of monsters. I mean, as a, as a kid growing up watching horror films, I, I would take, I remember my my looking at my mom the first time I watched Creature of the Black Lagoon. I was probably six or seven. And I, I looked at my mother in disbelief. I'm like, why does she keep trying to get back on the boat? Those guys are so boring. I'm like, there's this cool Gil guy wanting to hang out with her. What's her problem? <laughs> and I was, when I was growing up, you're starting to jog my memory now. On television, it was the Munsters. Oh, yeah. I had Butch Patrick on here. 
and I've met him and he's wonderful. Yeah. It was uh dark shadows. Absolutely. Oh yeah. That flying hand. Uh, that was the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I, I mean, to this day, I can't, I, the idea of that amputated hand it was terrifying. And the movie that was the big game changer for me was American Werewolf in London. Oh, yeah. I think that brought a lot of people into horror. And that his transformation into the wolf. Next level. That was what really made me fall in love with it. And the other only strong influence for the Angela character was um, Tim Curry. It was... Rocky Horror. Rocky Horror. No one had ever done anything. You don't do things like that. You right. Didn't do that back then. I don't even think you could do it now. <laughs> and I think they also were having the time of their life. They're thinking we're making a cheesy low budget movie. No one's ever going to see this. Let's just laugh our butts off. Let's go crazy. That's what we did in Demons because we thought no one's ever going to see this. Until we see it's going to be swept under the rug like it never happened. And then I, I continued to wish that were true because at that time I got completely blasted. Blast. It really pigeonholed you. Yeah. People yeah. always ask me, why'd you quit acting? Well, you don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, I think I'll stop being a movie star. Just can't get the jobs. <laughs> I, the two, the two stigmas that would blacklist you forever. If you made a horror movie, you would never work again. If you made a soap opera, you were a soap opera actress and therefore right. Talent, and you couldn't be in a real movie. Well, so many superstars have come out of of oh, so Meg Ryan. Uh, I'm, she just jumped in my head, but I, yeah, there's there's a tons who came out of soap. My aunt Rue was on the edge of night. That's right? right, absolutely. She was on the edge of night, and then she'd go off and do theater for free. She did summer stock the entire career. After she won her Emmy, she'd go off and do su summer stock. And that's where you're just doing play after play after yep. play. I'm going to go do love letters with Hume Cronin this weekend. So, <laughs> you know, that's, you just, you can see that going on. People just, yeah, you take on those jobs. I'm going to go do, you know, gypsy <laughs> for, for four weeks in Antioch. I'll be back. Exactly, but that's the yeah. real deal. You do it because yeah. you love it. You yeah. don't care. Right? Or even if you get paid. Yeah. It's an honor to be able to play those characters or dance those characters. Mm -hmm. Well, do you mind if I kind of go through here and ask you about some of the people you worked with? I, I may not be able to answer Absolutely, you, I'm sure. But if I can, I will. <laughs> Well, I, of course, we talked a little bit about Breaking 2. Um, what, what about Sam Furstenberg? What was he like as a director? I don't even know what film that was. That was Breaking 2? Um, I didn't work with him. I worked with a choreographer. I figured. Okay. Okay. I was just curious. In those, A lot of times in those movies, as you know, those where you've got huge dance numbers and things, the director's like... It, it, I want it framed like this. Get it done. <laughs> Get out of the way. Or and... the choreographer calls it. Mm -hmm. the choreographer calls how they need this dance number shot. Mm -hmm. And I never even saw the director. Wow. Wow. 
So that mind. that's probably the I same with Sidney Poitier then too. I'm guessing. He was he's a lovely man. Yeah. Were you able to interact with them then on fast forward? No, because I was just one of the dancers. Right. But he was kind right. to us. He was he's a he's a lovely man. Yeah. That's great. Well, of course, I gotta ask about Ben Gazzara. You had scenes with him. Uh he is possibly one of the greatest character actors of his generation and a great leading man as well, which is hard to find somebody who can carry two different roles like that. What, what was he like? Um, kind, handsome, charismatic. Actually, I do have a Sydney Portier story. It just occurred to me. Oh, very, great. Very nice. And I, the, the dancers were all gay guys and we would just cut up. Mm -hmm. So we would be making sarcastic comments and making each other laugh in between all of the dance numbers. Because you don't have anything else to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and there was some stupid reason that Sydney Portier came out and started wanting or trying to dance. He's a genius actor, but he's not much of a dancer. <laughs> one, of his, one of the gay guys standing next to me turns to me with whispers in my ear and he says, well, that just completely blew the whole image of <laughs> 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 to ask of course about the golden girls i'm um I, so every saturday night growing up i would drive down to visit my friends near louisville we'd watch the golden girls and then we'd go see rocky horror it was a saturday night tradition and i i love the golden girls i have you know, so much golden girls ephemera in my house it's ridiculous so i i mean i B. arthur to me is one of the greatest performers of any generation and you got to share the screen with her and your aunt and Betty White, who is a national treasure and Estelle Getty. I mean, first off, you're there with your aunt. That had to have been fun. It was really fun. It was really fun. And for our listeners, it's the episode where um, the ladies get mistaken for sex workers and are jailed with a bunch of sex workers. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm one of the prostitutes in the jail. Uh -huh. <laughs> and it, um, it, it, it's just, it's, it's a snapshot in time, those kinds of memories. Then we were just in, in such a magical little pocket. Such a magical pocket of time. Mm -hmm. And of course, Rue set the stage for me, quite literally. I I grew up thinking, well, this is a completely normal thing to, to have an actress in the family, an actor, and, and she made it seem effortless. Mm -hmm. They all did. Yeah. Well, I and, mean, more seasoned actors on a sitcom had never existed. I mean, they were, they had all had decades of theatrical experience and movie experience behind them so 
that well, must Ruth, have just the um, Norman Lear had seen her on Broadway and mm-hmm. got a crush on her and flew her out to LA and back then if you're old enough to remember all in the family yeah but perfection this the they were perfection so mm-hmm. the the kind of uh comedic timing and the ability and Rue and I talked about this once within one hour you can make somebody laugh and you bring them to tears yeah. and then you laugh again and that's what all in the family could do and they mm-hmm. could be angry and they could get you fired up and the episode that made Rue's career that started her career was called The Swingers. If you don't know this. Oh, I know this episode. It's a great episode. It's a fantastic (laughs) episode. He he sees an ad in the paper for lonely couple wanting friends. (laughs) Oh gosh, who was it who played her husband? I can't think of his name. He's a great character actor, but yeah, it's a great scene. I can't think of his name. Was it? No, no. I can't think of his name. Brilliant. I'm I'm so sorry I can't think of his name. I can't either, but so the husband, they're being way too friendly. They're really friendly. And so Edith is just impressed at how nice they are. Until the man, the husband, corners her in the kitchen and tries to kiss her. And he had come in with this box of expensive cigars. Yes. So Archie's thinking. What is it? You know, what's this about? That's awfully generous, too generous. Right. And then there's this scene because he was known for these these expressions. He'd be looking straight at the camera. Right down the barrel of the lens. And it was just a ripoff of what Jackie Gleason. (laughs) And he it was this reaction shot where he'd be all of a sudden he (laughs) Right. But he didn't say anything. His face is just frozen, like, oh my God. Vincent Gardenia. I just looked it up. Vincent oh, Gardenia is who played. Sorry. So, <laughs> so Rue comes in and she's he's sitting on the couch in his usual meathead, you know, mentality where he watches TV. And she's she reaches down and hugs him. So she's she's just got her lips right next to his ear. And he realizes that he's hitting on, that she's hitting on him. Yeah. And that's the reaction shot where he realizes it. And from there, she took off. Yeah. But yeah. that, it helped me, I think, with the acting. I don't want to say I never took it very seriously, but the truth of it is I never took it seriously. It wasn't, it wasn't hard for me. Well, compared to dance, I'm sure. Um, you know that, that this is nothing. I was like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> words, whatever. Who cares about? It? I I, I want to go out and perform. I want to yeah. be in, be on stage and be performing for yeah. hours in a concert. Modern company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Rue, I you're making me realize something I never thought of before, and I think the reason that it was easy was that the goal was to be funny and not to say that being funny is easy comedy is its own breed and it's rare mm-hmm. not a lot of people can be funny and rue i watched rue be funny 
and make people laugh. Mm -hmm. I watched her be serious and draw people in to her emotions. She can bring you to tears within mm -hmm. one hour and make you laugh at the end. And I, that is true of a lot of the players that are in Night of the Demons. Yeah. Leah Quigley's funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's really funny in real life. And being funny and also being scary. You can't just go, That's right. Not scary. Right. No, the first time you see Linnea drop and she's got that possession makeup on, she's terrifying. Absolutely. And those are two of the hardest things comedy and real horror being yeah. anthony hopkins who wants to eat your liver with an ice glass of chianti mm -hmm. he's terrifying yeah and for some reason the audience falls in love with the villain they're cheering on the villain like don't catch him <laughs> i want you to go eat somebody else's liver Right. <laughs> it's but we are yeah the rebel the you know who, who mm -hmm. does all the things that we secretly wish we could have done to the teachers or the bullies in junior high and high school that were right. making our or our siblings that were torturing us right or even our parents mm-hmm and so somehow the demons movies tapped into all that that you, you get to watch your unspoken evil fantasies <laughs> <laughs> i i honestly think that is a lot of the appeal of horror overall is is that it it lets us the catharsis not just the catharsis of being frightened without actual danger but also that catharsis of, oh, that guy looks just like the dick who, you know, made my life hell in gym class. Kill him good. <laughs> you, <laughs> no, you want to do what Renee did and just poke his eyes out with your thumb. Because yeah. yeah. he's driving me nuts. He's yeah. driving me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've, you've talked about what the work you're doing now as I, I've heard you say it's it's releasing your inner Angela. And I'm assuming you're talking about that service that you provide, um, not just to community, but to the world, uh, working with uh, the children in Africa, working to help uh, to save endangered species. It, what what do you mean by the inner Angela for that? It's, it's a kind of rebellious fire. Mm -hmm. it, it's a wild fury where the last thing I'm ever going to think about is Oh, how much money am I going to make? It might not be safe. Oh, I shouldn't do that. What if a war breaks out? And now more than ever, quackity, quackity, quackity. Why? What if they change the COVID rules? What if we get stuck there? What if we get stuck there? We're stuck in the Garden of Eden, surrounded by elephants that are going to follow me and go stand around the tent before my plane lands, before I know where I'm going. They're going to be five elephants. That have been, that wait for me, the family of elephants that adopt me. I actually wrote this down that you anticipate that the elephants anticipate your arrival, and you're on the third generation now of elephants. Yeah, you did your homework. Wow. And those lions, those cheetah, those <clears throat> leopards, those those giraffe, those warthogs, the cuckoo and kudu and hippos and buffalo and crown cranes and 
every kind of bird and all sorts of exotic reptiles and um I think that and I don't know what Angela represents for everybody else but there's got there's kind of a real damn you I'm going to do it my way mm -hmm. the more you tell me no the more encouraged I'm going to be because I am not listening to anybody else yeah. Somebody says to me, I need you. I want you to do this for my penguins. We're going to kill this tiger. So no, you're not, you're going to kill that tiger over my dead body. I don't care who you are. The, the, the biggest tiger conservationist in the world, the most famous tiger conservationist, he attacked you. I, I asked the tiger, what happened? He said, he deserved it. He had it coming. <laughs> so I'm on the phone with him. John Vardy's in ICU. He's wrapped up like a mummy. He's in a full body cast. He calls me, doesn't know me from Adam, wants mm -hmm. me to, to tune into the tiger. And I said, you will kill that tiger over my dead body. And I'm going to be on a plane. And you're not going to, you touch a hair on his head. I will kill you with my bare hands. And so there's something that's so... It's the it's defending beauty. It's defending these creatures that deserve mm -hmm. to be defended. They didn't do anything wrong. We have no right to go chop a lion's head off and have, fly home and hang it over our pool table. It's the strangest thing I could imagine doing. I I don't understand the mentality behind that at all. It it so bizarre to me. And even though. These in these horror movies, I'm the one who's doing the cruelty. It's retaliation of bullies, right. bullies that have been cruel to me, mm -hmm. and I'm getting even. So I think that's what I mean that I'm defending the outcasts, though the people, those that have been told that they're unworthy and they're not beautiful and they're not smart and nobody cares about them and they don't matter. So we'll just go murder this tiger and eat it, make tiger medicine out of it, or kill these pangolin and make soup out of them. Right. Um, that's not okay with me. And I don't care if I die. I would much rather die doing something I love because if I don't do that, I'll stay home and eventually die of colon cancer or something awful right. because I'm so unable to help make a difference where it needs to be made in this world so well, you're certainly making it i the the work you've done in the past 19 years is incredible um i, I encourage listeners to check out your website for sure uh, it's a great resource um you lead safaris as well uh which is and it's open this year. Just so cool. Yeah, I I, I uh, mentioned it in the intro, and I'll make sure I get links to all of this when I post this. But I mean, just the pictures alone of you working with, you know, there's a picture of you with a tiger, a, a picture uh, with elephants. Um, I mean, it's just incredible. I, the, of course, I with horses. I grew up on a horse farm. Um, it wasn't huge. The at the most we had, I think. Um, we raised Arabians. We had eight total when we had the highest number of them. Um, and they are such intelligent creatures. And um, 
I think, and I know you tap into that. The energy of a horse, especially even more so than a dog. And I've had hundreds of dogs in my life, but horse energy is so easy to feel so long as you keep yourself open to it. And when you're in there cleaning a stall with a 1200 pound animal next to you, you're going to pay attention (laughs) and and know if it's getting annoyed, you're okay. I'm going to get out of your way because I will lose this fight. So, (laughs) um, and I, I think the fact that you've been doing this for so long and have been able to tap into that with a variety of animals is amazing. Thank you. So that now I'm teaching online courses and Mm -hmm. they're mainly for normal domestic animals. People say, well, the vet doesn't know what's wrong with my dog or my cat's acting strange or grieving or, they mm-hmm. seem to have allergy problems or they're not getting along with the other cat or the person's about to lose their animal. They're about to cross over and they're just devastated mm-hmm. and all sorts of behavior problems, health problems, medical problems. And my job is to see <clears throat> the animal's point of view. And I teach people to see the animal's point of view with the big ones. People aren't you scared? Well, of course I'm not scared. How am I going to look into the eyes of a lion? And be scared. I may burst into tears because I feel like my heart's going to explode in a million pieces. To to be able to see, just to be in the presence of such beauty, and you feel that with the horses, they're mm-hmm. so healing. And these these animals are our connection to nature and wildness and our soul and spirit and mm-hmm. creator and her creations is her creations because our soul is created with by the same creator who created them it we're tapping into our spirituality by entering a dimension where there's so much love and compassion that you want to see through their eyes and the horror community in particular is the most loving community watch a watch watch a horror movie with a bunch of horror fans where an animal gets killed we lose our fucking minds (laughs) don't kill the dog that's right Kill the owner. That's right. Because some part of horror movie fans were (laughs) the victim. And we want to defend the victim. Yeah. And that's what Angela does. So I I defend the uh, also go after the ones that are even gonna hurt the other girls. Mm -hmm. Molest the other girls. Right. So I teach people how to tap into this deep soul level where they access their own spiritual and supposedly extrasensory. It's part Mm -hmm. of our body. It's a part of our mind. It's part of our physiology that we all have intuition. We all are able to learn how to do this, to silence your own mind, your own emotions, get into the great love that you have for your, these animals and learn how to listen. Mm -hmm. So, the safaris is very high-end, glamorous, luxurious one. And then there's a, a cheaper one that's the cool, groovy backpackers one. Mm-hmm. They both involve where the elephants walk through the lobby. On my site, you'll see all the online training on the store page. They're cheap, quick little things like uh, how to listen to your dog, how to connect with an animal in heaven, how to find a missing dog, how to listen to your cat. Uh, how to find out if they're in pain, any mm-hmm. kind of 
What are they thinking? What are they feeling? How do I learn how to access this soul level inside of myself so I can hear that? Right. Also, books are all over Amazon. People can find them. Thank you so much for your time. You've just been wonderful. You're a delight to talk to. And uh, like I say, I mean, you as, as far as it cult cred goes you're in the hall of fame so far as what you've been in is just incredible to me you've been sensational oh and thank you thank, thank you. you for that donation that absolutely was so you did your homework like nobody's business no thank you, you didn't ask me what everyone does what did that makeup feel like <laughs> I try not to ask questions you've answered a hundred times because I figure somebody can go listen to that. I should is what it felt like. <laughs> Thank you. Have a great evening. Bye-bye. There you go. Amelia Kincaid, Angela from Night of the Demons. Man, she's been in so much. If you have not seen Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo, go watch it. It's just amazing. Uh, hey, Get out in the world. Have fun. Be careful, though. COVID is rampant again. Uh, I've been very lucky not to catch it, while a lot of my friends at the same events have. Um, mask up. Get vaccinated. Jesus. I want this thing to go away, but it never is going to. So let's just be careful out there. But while you are out there, remember your servers, because they're risking a lot being out there breathing in our state. And uh, take care of them. Tip them well, because at the Walter Paisley Movie House, we do not piss on hospitality. Bye, guys.